The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting over 60 countries from Rim Country. Payson, Arizona, where just a couple of hours ago I gave a presentation to an overflowing room of business people at the fabulous new casino, and many of these people came from long distances for the presentation, so I appreciate that. I want to really thank Chris Bertone, who made it all happen. I want to thank the Rim Chamber, Rim Country Chamber of Commerce, the local political representatives and the mayor who so enthusiastically supported the project. I delivered a message that uh, every small to medium, to medium business should hear about, how to build their business without spending a lot of money. The crowd out there in, in Payson was fantastic. They were enthusiastic. They were raucous. They were very appreciative. So, Thank you, Payson. Thank you, Arizona. A great response. I appreciate it. Now, this program is all about helping entrepreneurs, small business, and in fact, everyone in business to be more successful. We've been bringing you information, great advice, and fantastic interviews now for over five years to help you maximize your own success. In fact, next week is our 250th broadcast, and I want to thank you our great listeners, and the nearly 300 guests we've interviewed on the show for making us the number one business show on radio in the world for entrepreneurs and making our 250th show happen. I really appreciate it. A couple of questions I received at today's presentation concerned about how to attract investment to your business, so I thought I might discuss it here today. Starting a business has really never been easier. Technologies lowered the cost and skills required to obtain extraordinary reach. Successful entrepreneurs and even governments are now backing programs to assist entrepreneurs and through initiatives like crowdfunding and a wide array of venture capital, there's plenty of options to find financial support for your company. Incubators and accelerators are springing up everywhere providing entrepreneurs with advice and collaboration that has not been available before. From the investor perspective, probably only one idea in a hundred is a winner. 95% of businesses fail, so one in a hundred is probably a pretty close shot. And few entrepreneurs are safe bets. So what are investors looking for out there? Now, there's several traits which are important to becoming a well-rounded entrepreneur, Obviously, having an effective disruptive solution, great passion, 
extensive subject knowledge, ability to listen and accept feedback and having a thirst to learn, they're all important. It's also important to have the right personality type, passions the driver pushing you to want to improve your solution, to see pain points and have the determination to fix them. Now, investors want to work with people who want to seek out advice, that want to continue to learn and are open to taking constructive criticism. You also generally need some experience in the area, a track record in the industry you're entering. If you don't have some experience in the area, area then it's, it's really difficult to convince others, whether that be employees, customers or investors, to come along for the ride. You know, the startup road is brutal and usually long and bumpy. And if you haven't got really deep fire in your belly and a total commitment, when you hit the stress points, you'll do what most entrepreneurs do. They give up. Most entrepreneurs have a few highs and lots and lots of lows, plenty of rejections and disappointments. So you really have to be totally committed and passionately believe in your project to connect others to your cause and suffer this disappointment with you. Some investors look for entrepreneurs with high levels of fluid intelligence, and that's the ability of the entrepreneur and his or her team to rapidly adapt to change. This is one reason why many investors like to deal with entrepreneurs who have been through the wars, who have learned to be resilient, have had a few failures, have learned to overcome obstacles, perhaps pivot to overcome those obstacles. The most successful entrepreneurs are those that are very confident, maybe even slightly arrogant, but they're able to listen, confident enough to make bold decisions, even in the face of resistance, dream big and not be afraid to fail as they strive for success. The majority of investors are looking for an experienced, dedicated team who are all on the same page. It's important to have the right combination of business, specific area expertise and technical experience in your management group or advisory group. You want people with experience, intelligence, openness, determination, and a really strong will to learn. Investors don't expect an entrepreneur to have everything perfectly in place or every challenge resolved. So when you're out there looking for an investor, you need to have a clear understanding of the opportunity, the problem that you're solving, Who's the market for this product Product of yours? Who are your competitors? And make sure you include companies that may be addressing the same problem from a totally different angle that you may miss if you're looking at the way you're going about it. How you're different from those competitors and how you're going to penetrate the market. And the second thing that investor looks for is the experience of you and your team of advisors. Have you got the experience and the expertise to get the job done? What does each member of your team's experience and background do to help you get there? Now you've got the problem. 
You've got the people and the solution to fix it, but how are you going to do it? You need a detailed strategy and an implementation plan. You need to detail the risks of the project and you need an exit strategy. Now, if you get those elements in place, then your chances of securing investment just increased dramatically. Now, perhaps you don't need funding. You've got an established business. The reality still is that 95% of businesses fail. So why do some businesses survive when others go under? One main region is that they are successful in reinventing themselves, pivoting when they need to, creating a fluid structure and engaging in entrepreneurial thinking. Very few established companies do reinvent themselves regularly. Early stage businesses have limited resources, few customers, small networks, very little credibility or track record, so they must be entrepreneurial and, in- and innovative. But as companies grow, they lose this entrepreneurial spirit and they become pretty staid in the way they do things. When you think about it, established companies really are in the best position to be entrepreneurial, to exploit new ideas, aren't they? Because they've got the resources to do so, but they've got to rediscover how to act like an entrepreneur, encouraging people to be innovative and look for better ways. If we want companies to develop and exploit entrepreneurial opportunities, they must realise that innovative thinking and disruptive ideas do not just come from a few creative people. Opportunities can come from everyone in the company. Companies can be revolutionised by putting together a group of people who would not normally be considered creative. But working together, they can produce a shift that presents the problem in a new light, introducing the potential for a new opportunity. It's really interesting. A few years ago, when I had a fairly large company, I used to call all the staff together, all of them, everybody, didn't matter who they were. And we used to talk about issues that were occurring in the company and come up and ask everybody, receptionists and cleaners and marketing people and everybody to come up with solutions. It was amazing how many solutions came from people like receptionists and cleaners and people that weren't caught up in the day-to-day machinations of doing it. They just thought about it in a totally different way. So to create an entrepreneurial organisation, you've got to have a framework for entrepreneurial thinking that enables you to identify the opportunities. You've got to create a supportive entrepreneurial organisational culture to enable the ability to fulfil entrepreneurial initiatives when they come up. So these three elements match the flow for a specific entrepreneurial action, which starts with an opportunity or an idea, is nurtured within a supportive entrepreneurial culture, and implemented through an entrepreneurial process. From a long-term perspective, corporations need to first establish and nurture an entrepreneurial culture, be open to opportunities when they come, and finally, 
develop those opportunities to be enacted in the marketplace. So thanks for those questions today. They were good. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business this week from Peyton Rim County in Arizona, a beautiful area with a very enthusiastic business environment. And we're here to insist entrepreneurs to be successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, either from today's presentation or from this show, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or email you directly. Make sure you um, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 16, in over 60 countries every month. It's been a pretty exciting day. This lunch sort of thrown me off my guard a bit, um, but uh, we'll get there. Uh, on my web- website, bobpritchard.com, you'll see that I have a new page called the Bob Pritchard Success Pathway, and this is designed to assist international entrepreneurs as well as American entrepreneurs to access contacts, expertise, and funding in North America. We have a lot more announcements to make on that shortly. I'll be announcing a lot more details about the Bob Pritchard Premium Club also over the next couple of weeks, so watch for that. Now, today's guest is Jim DeBetta, an invention and retail placement specialist, and I'm pleased to say he and I are working on a project together. He is brilliant, and I recommend it to everyone. His um, his retail customers include a who-who in retail, such as Target, Walmart, Radio Shack, Sears, Home Shopping Network, Bed Bath & Beyond. Costco and more and more and more. Jim teaches inventors how to create sales and marketing strategies, how to understand the world of licensing, how to develop a product using CAD design, how to raise money to fund a business, locating factories overseas to produce your product, how to license your product. He teaches entrepreneurs how to do every part of their business and he's great at it. And I'll be back with Jim immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. 
where now for over five years we've been giving you insights into the lives of some 300 of the world's most interesting business people, what they do, and we try to find out what it is that makes them tick, what makes them different. You know, 95% of all businesses fail today, so those that succeed, what do they do that we don't do? You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's so important to listen to these interviews and hear the obstacles that um, our guests face and how they overcame them, and why it's so important for everybody in business out there to have a mentor or a series of mentors, people that have been there, done that in various aspects of business that can give you help and advice when you need it. Now, a mentor is not your younger brother or somebody that you've grown up with that's probably going to say, wow, that's a wonderful idea. It's somebody who'll say, you know, you're just missing the mark. You need to do this. Have you, have you thought about that? You know, somebody who will really help you stay on track. Now, everybody in business faces the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're opening a dry cleaning store or whether you've developed a new app. You begin with a dream. You persevere. You commit yourself and you overcome obstacles. And, uh, the fact that so many businesses fail is testament to the fact that taking that great business idea or your new invention to the market is extremely difficult. It's one thing to invent a widget that's perfect. It's another thing to get any bastard to buy it. And uh, most entrepreneurs try to do most things on their own because they've got a lack of contacts, they've got a lack of funds, they don't have a big network, they've got a lack of resources. But research shows that most entrepreneurs who try that approach fail. And our guest today takes those budding entrepreneurs from idea to having a product in the market. Today's guest is Jim DeBetter, whose product development and sales experience has amassed millions of dollars within the retail selling world. He can take an idea from a sketch on a napkin to creating the final product and then selling it to retailers worldwide. In fact, Jim and I are working on a project as we speak that hopefully we will be able to reveal to the world in a month or two. Jim's a founder and president of DeBetter Enterprises, which assists clients with product development. He negotiates licensing deals and he raises money for new companies specialises in finding factories to produce product, creating, creating pricing strategies. Now, pricing strategies are really critically important. People, too many people say it cost me a dollar to make, so I'll sell it for a dollar twenty, and they think they're making a twenty percent margin. It don't work like that. Um, he does marketing and public relations, and sells products to major retailers such as Target, Walmart. Best Buy, Costco, Bed Bath and Beyond, and a whole truckload more. Jim's latest book, The Business of Inventing, is a bestseller in the invention industry and has helped thousands of budding inventors to understand the world of consumer products and how to bring them on the market. I'm glad I've got this guy on my side. This guy is good. Jim, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, that, that was quite the intro. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. 
It's a pleasure. I only work with the best, mate. So what's the biggest obstacle to aspiring business owners and entrepreneurs? When let's assume they've already got a product. What's, what's the biggest challenge that they face at that point? You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's so hard to sometimes boil it down to one thing, but I do see a lot of commonalities and, you know, with inventors who are in their own right entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is managing expectations. I think that because inventing is such a personal uh, endeavor where you come up with an idea because it solves a problem for yourself or maybe you see an issue out there with something and you want to improve upon it. Or maybe you just have an idea for something that you think is exciting. What tends to happen is that inventors get very emotionally attached to what they're doing. And that's fine because you certainly want to have uh, some kind of a connection and certainly passion uh, to help you through uh, the early times when uh, money's not coming in and and a lot of money's going out, of course. But what happens is that a lot of inventors tend to think that within a year or even within two years that their product's going to be on the market, they're going to be making millions, and then it's off to the races for them. But in reality, um, <laughs> understanding that it, it can take many years, it could take five or ten years, and it could be a huge struggle, uh, and along the way there are successes, but managing expectations um, is, is tremendous. And I, like you said, having a mentor or somebody that's outside of your very deep inner circle of, of family or even friends that are afraid to tell you no uh, and who are trying to please you, um, finding a mentor that will guide you along and say, look, you've got to separate the emotional aspect from the business aspect, understand the realities of what's going on here. And if you can help somebody manage their expectations, they're much more apt to do well in their business versus, you know, sort of crashing and burning after realizing pretty early on that, um, you know, with rare exception, uh, most products are not going to come out of the gate and, and, and make somebody a millionaire overnight. I've got a very good friend who is one of the biggest VCs in the United States with truckloads of money in things like Skype and Tesla and all those things. And uh, he says the first thing that puts him off is when an inventor or an entrepreneur walks into his office and says, I have got the next billion dollar idea. He says, he's not even going to talk to them. You know, they're they're living in this fantasy world and and they're never going to come down to earth. Yeah, it's tough to, and that's the managing expectation part. I do get concerned when people, I mean, look, people say it tongue in cheek sometimes. They say, look, Jim, I've got the next, you know, gazillion dollar idea. And look, you know, they, they know most of them in their heart that, you know, they're, they're being enthusiastic and, and you want that. But there are people who will say, you know, they'll send me a business plan and it will have financials that reflect <laughs> the billion dollar revenue. And I say, listen, I, I would love more than anything to be a part of or even to watch somebody achieve that. I mean, it, you know, it can happen. And, and very occasionally yep. there are people who get very wealthy off of ideas. But if, if you're basing your whole business and premise and you're investing in it, thinking that there's no other outcome for you, you know, that's a, that's a risky thing. And I, and I tell people, I'm like, listen, I'm not comfortable with this. If you really truly think that it's just going to project this way and, and there's going to be no speed bumps or hiccups or, or even, you know, total colossal caverns along the way. Um, you know, I tend to shy away because I understand that I'm not going to change their mindset, but for the most part, I think people, 
um, can be managed. And, and, you know, especially if you're in an industry and you explain to them, look, I've been doing this for decades. I, here's what's likely to happen. And, yeah. you, you know, you take something from that. Yeah. I, this is a great lesson for entrepreneurs. I had a guy bring a product to me um, and it was a great product. And I took it to a couple of um, potential buyers, big organizations. We spent a week talking to them. And at the end of the week, um, there was a board meeting and they turned around and they offered my guy $50 million for the idea right then, right there. He said, Mm. no, it wasn't enough. He is now working in a computer repair store they just yeah. said that's that's our top offer you're saying no you're out so a great idea that could have made him 50 million bucks got him nothing yeah because that's a shame yeah and that's, he's just living in the there, fantasy right. world that that happens i know i mean fit, you know even if it was five million i mean the average person can can live a very nice life off of that money and, you know, and their families. And yeah, people get a little bit, you know, greedy, I guess. And, and they yeah. want, they think that it's worth more. Right. They, they're just not up to, up to speed on, on the realities of it. But yeah, that's a shame. So what are the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make? I, I think one of the big ones is, you know, and I, entrepreneurs are like this. So everybody listening is definitely going to kind of understand what I'm about to say. But I think the big mistake is trying to think you can do everything on your own. Yeah, and I've learned that. Absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm, I, I know what I'm good at. I do. But I know what I'm not good at. And I think it's hard for people to, to really finally sit down and look themselves in the mirror and say, look, I'm not a finance guy or, or I'm not a sales guy or, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. And, you know, most entrepreneurs and they're sometimes forced to. I mean, a lot of times you, you come out sure. of the gate and you got to be the old, you know, chief cook and bottle washer. You know, you got to do everything yourself and, you know, and you dabble and, and you do enough to, to be dangerous and get things started. But really at the end of the day, as you start really getting into serious business, uh, I mean, look, if I need legal advice, I go to a lawyer. You know, yep. if I'm sick, I go to a doctor. If I need tax advice, I go to an accountant. I, I know a little bit about all those things. But I don't keep up with them. There's not enough time. I, I, I have to be proficient and good and, and continue to, to improve upon what I'm really good at and, and acknowledge and say, I hate to write that check, but I know if I hire this person to help me, it's going to be much better for me in the long run versus making all the mistakes on your own. And then after all the money's gone, you look at yourself or you look at people to, to help you and, and it's too late or you're out of money or too much time has passed. And that's a huge issue uh, for entrepreneurs. And again, we're, we're all afflicted with it. I think at some point or another, you know, especially if you're younger and you're starting out, you think you can do anything. And there are people who will say, Oh, you got to No, don't, don't listen to people that say hire other people. Just go for it. Just learn everything you can on your own. And I don't know. I think there's all way too many uh, expensive lessons but people taking that approach. And it doesn't mean you have to spend a fortune on everybody else and that you shouldn't try certain things, but there are just some things that you should focus on and there are some things you should delegate and collectively with the right people, you grow a business. Yeah, I've found that one of the areas that um, entrepreneurs usually neglect 
is the legal side. You know, they might have a partner while they're developing the product, but at some point down the line, things are going to go wrong and there's going to be disputes. And if you don't have all of your... Um, of, all of the uh, partnerships and the deals that you've done, if you don't have them properly vetted and, and structured by a lawyer, you can get yourself into dreadful trouble. And a lawyer doesn't have to cost you that much money. Go and knock on the door of your local lawyer and say, look, I'm a startup. I don't have much money. I'll give you what I can, but would you help me through and I'll, I'll stay with you? They'll generally help you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, you, you got to reach out. you got to... You know, it's okay to ask for help that way and yeah. to get the best price. And they understand good, good people, good service providers understand the startup world. And I think it's good to approach service providers that understand our world, that run their own businesses, because they'll, they'll be more, um, you know, agreeable to, to discounting or, or giving you their best for a little bit less because they, they've been where you are. Yeah. And, and, you know, the worst thing that can happen is they say no. That's the worst thing right. that can happen. So you just go and knock on the next door. Um, right. You mentioned before the, the issue of, of time. I mean, I know um, I'm run ragged with time, and I know you are too. Now, if you're, And we're established. We've been around a long time. So if you're a young entrepreneur... How do you how do you allocate your time? How do you stop yourself working twenty hours a day and living on chips and coke? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, try to tell that to somebody who's starting out, who's twenty, who yeah. who, who thinks the world is theirs. You know, I, I've learned over time that I've learned how to become more efficient with each hour, and I've certainly embraced technology. And you know, look, when I started back in the product business, I mean, internet really didn't exist. And, you know, you didn't have, you know, when you left the office, you couldn't do any work at home because you had no way to interact with the computer yeah. at home. So in a way, I hate to say it, it was, it was kind of good because it allowed you to disconnect <laughs> and you just had to kind of wait for the next morning till you got to the office. And, you know, and, and even though you wanted to, to advance things, it kind of forced you to do it. But at the same time, I, I think what, what goes on in terms of timing is I think you've got to, you know, look, and there are a lot of people who don't agree with this. I, you know, I, I, I'm on social media a lot like Facebook and, and sure. Twitter and all these, uh, all these things. and you always see people posting about, Oh, like, go out and grind. You know, if you're not, you know, if you're not working at two in the morning, you're not successful. Or, you know, if you're, if you're out on a Friday night with your friends, then, you know, you're not a real entrepreneur. And I always shake my head at that stuff. I, I think that, you know, a lot of those people are, are, are people that are not successful. They, they just like to yell and scream about, you know, because they're, they're working on a Friday night means they're more successful. I think to me, it's, what you do with the time you have. I mean, I'm very comfortable working many days, you know, just a six, seven, eight hour day because I know that I don't have to get up. I don't drive to an office. I work from home. I don't spend, you know, that two to two and a half hours commuting. I don't go out and take hour and a half long lunches. I don't sit in meetings that don't pertain to me or help me grow or help me, you know, contribute. I, I talk to some of my corporate friends they laugh. They're like, we probably work maybe, you know, four or five good hours a day. Yeah. That's all they do because yeah. you know all the nonsense. So I'm like, well, look, by, by, you know, lunchtime, I've already done what you, what you've done. And, and yet that gives me the freedom to, to, to be with my family or, you know, just do whatever I like. Now that would, you know, that being said, you know, I, I feel like I'm always on the clock, but I love that. I don't have to punch a clock. So yeah. if I, one day I can get up and start working at, 
7.30 in the morning, and I'm at it, and I'm emailing, and I'm calling, and I'm busy, and maybe the next day I, I don't start till 8.30, you know, because I just don't feel like getting going yet, and yet the next day, maybe I stop at 5 or 6 o'clock or 4 o'clock, and, but then, you know, I go back at 7 at night and work for another hour or two or three, and you know, it's, it's having the freedom to be able to manage your time, but be disciplined enough to say, here's what I have to do today, or this is what I have to do this week. As long as I do that, and I kind of meet my own goals for what I wanted to do, then I'm happy. And then everything else I want to do on top of that is gravy. But, you know, I think that people shouldn't put a set amount of time or have a, a set schedule to the minute all the time. I think you should allow yourself to be good when you're good, when you're not Shop, you know, take a, take a few minutes, stop what you're doing. And then over time, you'll develop your own clock uh, and that, that allows you to, to be successful. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the great things is I learned from a study at Harvard that don't look at your emails within an hour of going to bed and don't look at your emails until an hour after you get up in the morning. Um, and... Just allow yourself that time to think. I get up in the morning, first thing I do, um, I quickly catch the news and then I jump into the spa and I sit in the spa for half an hour and think about what I have to do today, sort of put it in some sort of order. I make myself a list. I never get through the list, I might add, but <laughs> I make a list. And then the last thing I do at night is jump back in the spa and think again without all the distractions and it. And that's another reason why I think entrepreneurs should get out. They should mix with people. They should have a family life because it gives you a different perspective. You know, sitting, yeah. in, sitting in what's You're like right. a phone box working on the same thing all day, you forget what the real worlds are like about. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I agree. And I think, like you said, you, you do need time to think and reflect. And people think that's not work time. But, right, if you sit in the spa and you're thinking about what you've done or what you want to do, uh, being a little disconnected from your phone or, or your computer for an hour or two. That's part of a work day. That's a part of a good entrepreneur's work day anyway. Like I said, you're not just grinding away at a laptop, but you're you're plotting and planning and, and, and thinking about what, what you could do next. And that could be by far the most productive part of your day. You know, one, yeah, one good idea during that period can change. Because when you get into something and you're working on it, you're really focused on it, you tend to not think of options where when you're sitting there and, and doing nothing but thinking, you think, geez, why didn't I do that? That's another right way I could go about it. And usually it's good. Yeah. Now, you're obviously very talented at this because you do a whole bunch of, you know, I tend to work on three projects and that's it. Well, you seem to work on a whole bunch of projects, a whole bunch of businesses. You've got a whole heap of things going. How do you successfully manage all those things without getting them all screwed up together? Well, I, I'm not going to say it. I don't certainly have the opportunity to screw some things up. I think, uh, like you said, I, I try to limit myself and here's the entrepreneur in me and a lot of people will, this will resonate with them. You know, I, every time I turn around, I see an opportunity in, in something else, you know, yeah. that's, related or not related to my business. And, you know, if I see an opportunity within my world, I want to see if I can make a business out of it. And I think what I do is I, uh, you know, I, I focus like you on, on a few core things, um, uh, you know, in my world, but I definitely am constantly testing things. And sometimes I may just try a little hand at a little side business within the business. 
and I, you know, I'll, I'll play with it. I'll do a little research. I'll throw some stuff out there to clients. Hey, you know, I'm working on this. Is this a service you'd be interested in? And I kind of let people tell me, you know, if it's going to be something that's useful or not. And I found that some of the best things I've done have, have come from doing that. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think it's controlled chaos. I don't think I have a, yeah. you know, a, I don't think I don't think I have a good reign on exactly how to manage every second. But what I am able to do is, you know, I know like there were certain days where I've got to get certain things done for my core business, and I, I just can't spend the time on on other things. But you know, like you said, a lot of times when you're sitting around, if you're you're relaxing or you know you're 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 spending that moment or minutes, hour or whatever, thinking about, hey, you know what, I did my work today, and I got done what I wanted to and needed to. But, you know, hey, I had a thought for something. And then, you know, I get a piece of paper and a pen and I kind of, uh, you know, draw things out or write them out and, and kind of, you know, like I said, stop that process. So that's why that downtime is really good. But, I, you know, I, I think I'm just able to, to focus on the, the things that I need to get done. And I spend my other time thinking about the things that I'd like to do. And then I kind of mix them all into the day and the week. And, and over time, I, 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 you know, I feel like it's important to, to keep fresh and try new things within the business and because technology changes, I'm always looking at yeah. how to use technology to, to further my business. So yeah, it's, you know, it's a mix. There's no specific answer that, that works for everybody, but I think you just have to be aware of your time and, and, and understand that you need to mix it up. Having said that, I got out of the um, spa this morning and I walked into my wife and I said to her, do you ever feel that, you know, you're just not keeping up? You're just not doing all the stuff that, you you know, your brain tells you you should be doing? And she said, absolutely. Every day I think I'm just not doing enough. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, you know, again, this is a mindset. I'm Look, I'm, I'm generally happy with what I do and what I accomplish. I mean, I think let's go back to the managing expectations thing, right? The thing we talked about right at the very beginning. I think when people are realistic about what they can accomplish, they look, you know, somebody who's really successful or wants to be successful will always feel, I guess, a little bit disappointed that they didn't get this particular result. But in reality, for the average person, it's an amazing result. So I I think I kind of just try to, you know, I really try to come down to earth. I don't say, all right, I want to start a new business and, you know, within six months, it's going to be doing you know, a million dollars. I say, okay, you know, I've been in business long enough. I'm going to start this business and in six months, it, maybe it's only going to do $20,000 and, you know, maybe I'm going to break even. But I can say that, honestly, I can say and look at something and say, I, this is going to take longer than I think. It's kind of like the contractor that comes to your house and says, oh, I'm going to redo your kitchen. It's going to take two weeks and it takes two months, right? <laughs> you know, things go wrong or things change or you get sidetracked or your, your primary business gets busier than you think. Or, you know, I just think you have to, you just have to kind of assess and be honest with yourself and say, what can I handle? How do I think I can get it done? Uh, I know that some days are going to be better than others. And, and I can't be too hard on myself. I have to just push and push, but you know, give yourself a break and know that you're not going to build all these businesses and, and, and be a billionaire uh, in a day. There's only a handful of billionaires out there. So there's nothing wrong with being a thousandaire, as I say, or a millionaire. As long as you're happy, be happy with what you're doing, right? Just yeah. enjoy it. The money, the money comes if you do it and you, and you focus in on it. And then, you know, you, you start looking to do other things that make you happy and, and turn those into businesses if you can. Yeah. I think the other thing that's important is only to do 
the things that you have to do. Um, you know, if you, it's amazing you get 50 emails in the morning and you think, God, I've got to try and address all those. And if you only get to three of them, somehow the other 47 just go away. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's, there's so You're much. Right. That's it. So much you stuff away, that we yeah. do that's not important to making a buck now. Um, another thing that I think, you know, I'd be interested to get your take on. I once had a, um, a guy that I was marketing director for and he was involved in a whole bunch of businesses and he used to say every day at 5 o'clock or 5.30, whatever time we knocked off, write down all the things you did today that made us a buck. And it's amazing how many days you sit there and you've been working your tail off all day and you sit there at 5.30 and you go, geez, I really didn't do anything today that made a buck. Yeah. You tend to do a a lot of work that doesn't doesn't produce any money. Yeah. You've got to look at yourself, like you said, and – that's that's you know that could be tough on people to really like you said face that question did I did I make money today or did I set myself up to you know to make money and you know like you said it's, sometimes it's not always a fair thing True. you know like I said I, do I make money every single day in that regard like new fresh no but I mean a lot of times what you're doing is you're working on projects and things that will provide a lot of fruit down the road and you know companies get that the good companies understand they invest in in talent and and they know that. You know, they're, they're building something for the long term, and that's that's good. And I think good management recognizes that and not and tries not to hammer out, you know, you need to do this every five minutes, and if you don't do it, you're not worth anything. I think that's, um, you know, you see that in corporate America. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not in that world because I oh. know that I'm, dis- I'm disciplined enough to do it myself and understand what needs to be done, and, and I just do it. It would drive you nuts, wouldn't it, working in corporate America, working in corporate anywhere. Um most entrepreneurs, their one weekly must-watch television show is probably Shark Tank. Um, so what was it like to work with the sharks from Shark Tank? I know you work very closely with Kevin Harrington in particular. So what was it like? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was certainly interesting. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest thing about it was, you know, when I started working with Kevin, Shark Tank was just starting. In fact, I don't think it had aired yet. And, you know, I was working with Kevin on developing his, um, his TV goods business uh, down there in Florida. And it was really a kind of a haven for, for inventors to come and, and learn the process of inventing and, and to get help. And of course, Kevin's in the infomercial world. So he was able to provide them with uh, de- developing and, and airing infomercials. But, you know, Kevin said, to, I remember he said to me, he goes, Jimmy, I'm, I'm on this new show. It's called Shark Tank. And I don't know how it's going to do. And, of course, now you know it's a, it's a huge phenomenon, a big hit. Yeah. But to to see how this show works, to see how you know contestants get chosen, to see you know after they get off the show, you know what happens to the deals that are made. You know, do they really consummate? Do, do, do people really get the funding? And then, of course, there are people like me that were taking those products and placing them at retail. So you know, you, you, the shocks. You learn that the shocks. They're definitely money people. There's no question. And a lot of them can be mentors and get involved and get their hands dirty a little. But there's a lot of other people that are involved on the back end that, that make that product go, so to speak. Uh, you know, the sharks, they have their own business. They can't spend, sure. you know, all day long with, with any one particular person. And so I, I learned that. But it was interesting to see, you know, and, and meet the people that were on the show. And, and they, you know, these are they're entrepreneurs. They're, they've got ideas. They've developed them. They, they were looking for help, whether it was yep. for money or talent. 
And it was great to be kind of, you know, behind the scenes and, you know, beneath the ropes there to see and meet the people that are on it and, and how these deals get done. And I can only say this, that reality TV isn't always as real as you think it is. No, I was and, just about to you know, say exactly uh, that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. A lot of those deals that happen on TV don't get done. Yeah. You know, the lawyers get a hold of things, and you know, they, they you know, it's, it's TV. It's got to look good. It's got to be entertaining. But off, off camera, you know, things change often. So I always tell people, look, get on Shark Tank first for your 15 minutes of fame. If, if anything, even if you don't get a deal, you're gonna, your business should increase just by the exposure you get, yeah. and milk it as much as you can because it, it is national, uh, you know, syndicated TV. But, you know, and, and then if you can get a deal, you get a deal. But, you know, sometimes be careful what you wish for because the deals you do, sure. you know, may not be comfortable. You may be giving up a lot. Um, so that's, but that's for everybody to judge on their own, you know. Yeah, I, I, I often watch Shark Tech and think, gee, I wish the real world was like this, you know. And and yeah. I, know, I, know, I know at the other end, I know how many deals don't get done and I know how many deals are done for a much worse deal than what you actually see on television. And... Uh, you know, if only the real world was sort of an honest version of that, it'd be terrific. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I agree 100%. So, that's funny. You've got multiple income streams. You've got you've got money pouring in from everywhere to keep these Ferraris, Lamborghinis and Bentley convertibles yeah. on the road. <laughs> why, why are multiple in- income streams so important for long-term success? You know, I think it's the old saying, you know, don't put your eggs, all your eggs in one basket. Um, you know, years ago, I, I got my start by being in one business in the, in the sport optics industry, the, the binocular and, and telescope business. And, and because of that, um, you know, it, it allowed me to further branch out uh, and go on my own. And, and, you know, in that regard to, to helping other people instead of running my own specific product company. Um, I think that, you know, because you can't count on one thing, or if you have a business that the, the world changes, you know, I use an example of a VCR, right? Like if I'm in the, if I was in the VCR business and I was still in the VCR business, I, I wouldn't be in business, right? Because yeah, sure. we've gone from, from, so, you know, things evolve and today they change so quick because of technology. I mean, look, I mean, like I get an iPhone, like it seems like every six months because they, they create software and it doesn't even work on the old model. <laughs> That's the speed of the world. And our kids are growing up to, to demand instant gratification for everything. And, but, you know, things are, are you know, there's fads and, and you know, fashion and, and things just change so quickly. And what people have no attention span. So what they're excited about today, a month from now, you know, it's like this whole Pokemon Go thing that's going on and kids are running around and adults running around. You know, chasing Pokemons around. And yet, but you know, in, in another few weeks, it's going to be over. And then it's going to be something else. And then something else. And so I, you know, I use those as examples, as a cue for me to say, Jim, you should be in three things or five things or seven things. Even if I'm in, you know, investing in something or partnering with somebody on something and I don't spend much time in it, I know that, you know, not all of them are going to succeed. So I, I play, it's a numbers game. I go, if I'm in five businesses a year, Two or three are going to do well. One or two probably won't. But I'm going to do better than, than not because I'm, I'm involved. But if I hang my hat on one thing and it bombs, I'm dead in the water. Of course, if it does well, I, I, I'm doing great. But I think that a good lesson for entrepreneurs is that, but here's the thing that, that goes wrong. A lot of entrepreneurs try to do 20 things at the same time. My whole thing is when you're starting out, 
pick one thing, get it going first, get it established, get it comfortable where you can delegate or it can kind of run a little bit more on its own and only then start picking at something else and then something else. I think that's the curse of the entrepreneur. They try to do everything at once. They focus on nothing and then everything fails instead of getting established and, and then creating other revenue streams for them. Even if it's not what they traditionally do, sometimes just getting involved in another type of business that spins off a few dollars can help you. Jim, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Now, if you've got a product or even an idea scribbled on a napkin and you want to develop the product, you want to one, create a marketing and a, a, a business strategy, you want to get it out into the marketplace, you want to negotiate licensing deals or anything to do with being successful as an entrepreneur, go to Jim DeBetter. That's J-I-M-D-E-B-E-T-T-A dot com and uh, get in touch with him. He's a great guy and as I said earlier, I'm working with him on a project and, uh, you know, I've got a choice of pretty much anybody and uh, Jim's the guy. So I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week I'm broadcasting from Rim Country, Payson, Arizona. I think it's a, I think um, it's about a hundred miles out of uh, Phoenix. I drove down yesterday and t- today. I just gave a 90-minute presentation to an absolutely sensational crowd of business people as at the um, Mazatzal Casino. It's a new casino. It was an absolutely full house, and it was rocking. And it wasn't one of those plastic chicken deals either. This was amazing prime rib. So I've now become a very big Payson, Arizona fan. It was a great day, and I appreciate it. We've all heard of Moore's Law, which says essentially that as technology improves, computing power is going to double every two years. Well, this theory, which was uh, formulated by Intel co-founder Gordon Moore in 1965, that's 20 years before the internet. It's incredible. Um, Has predicted the development of computers for decades. But... Alas, it will soon no longer be be viable. It's held true for the last 50 years as computers have become exponentially more powerful, shrunk ever smaller, and become cheaper and cheaper. But now it comes down to the size of atoms themselves, so we're pushing how far Moore's Law can go. Beyond a certain point, physical constraints and economic costs 
mean conventional transistors cannot be made any smaller. I spoke to a guy yesterday who um, was making bitcoins and he said the power needed to make bitcoins got to be such that um, he nearly burnt down the table that he was sitting his computers on because of the heat that was being generated. And I think as um, transistor gets smaller and smaller and smaller, more and more heat gets and, and the power is, is increased, yet more and more and more heat. The Semiconductor Industry Association thinks that beyond 2021, it will not be fi financially viable for companies to make transistors any smaller. So instead, chip builders searching for a speed boost will have to turn to alternatives like layering circuitry in 3D design. But this, of course, presents its own challenges, like adequately dissipating the heat that builds up as the circuits function. This is what I was just mentioning a few minutes ago. It's all right to um, pack more power into these tiny chips, but the heat generated becomes a major problem. So if Moore's Law does not come screeching to a halt in the next five years and alternative new designs don't find a way to overcome this obstacle, this doesn't mean computing devices will just stop getting better. Innovation will continue. They'll just find more ways to do it and it'll be more nuanced and complicated. So if you're frustrated by the speed of devices, and worried about the future, don't, because don't worry, it ain't going to stop anytime soon. So where are the big media stars these days? Surprisingly, many are on YouTube. And the list of the biggest YouTube earners came out this week, and it's quite surprising. There seems to be endless channels of YouTube, it's been around for 10 years now, and it offers something for everyone. There are videos and entire channels dedicated to gaming and toys and food and beauty and lifestyle and any other topic you can think of. There is even a Bob Pritchard channel, which you should look up, look up immediately, the Bob Pritchard channel. And we're going to put another, I think, 200 posts on it in the next three weeks. Now, the most popular channels and people on the site, they frequently rack up billions of views. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. Based on the data from VidStatsX, I just wanted to mention the top revenue earner and the 10th revenue earner. These YouTube channels were started and they're run by just ordinary people. Number one is the fantastic PewDiePie. Now, I don't know whether you've seen PewDiePie, but he is terrific. And he was the first YouTuber to reach 10 billion views. He now has some 13 billion views, which is extraordinary because it's nearly two views for every single person on the planet. So that's PewDiePie. He's number one, and his name's Felix Kjellberg. He's the man behind the game commentary channel and he started back in 2010 with his vlogs 
He now makes $20 million a year and is extraordinarily popular right throughout the world. He was one of the first people to make gaming videos and he's inspired a truckload. I can't imagine how many people that he's inspired. In 10th place is five-year-old Ryan, who's Ryan's Toys Review. Has only been around a year and a half, but has racked up 5.6 billion views. And last March, Ryan's 645 million views were only slightly less than Justin Bieber's 646 million views. And he reviews toys. He's five years old. He's amassed a huge following and he makes more than $5 million a year. He's got about $7.5 million in the bank, which isn't bad for a five-year-old. Google's on a mission to eliminate spam. Google's announced an update to the default phone app for its Android operating system that will automatically flag a warning for suspected spam calls. The app will check the incoming caller's number against an internal database and then label it a suspected spam call in a red warning box if it thinks it's spam. It's based on the same caller ID technology already available in the app. Previously, it would highlight useful information about callers or businesses not in your contacts, but now it's being expanded to include more trouble, some those pain-in-the-ass spam callers. It will also let you label recent callers as spam and block them. And if there's a case of mistaken identity and the spam call was actually from a void, a valid caller, you can report that it was wrongly labelled as spam. We all get a stack of spam calls every day and Google, I for one salute you. It's been a long day today and I want to thank Chris Batone and the wonderful team here in Payson and all the fantastic, enthusiastic attendees at my presentation today for the terrific Mazatzal Casino. It was really wonderful. I also want to thank Roger Leslie at the casino and his team for looking after us so well. It was really terrific. Now, in the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope and if you're not living on the edge, then you're taking up too much space it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Now, I look forward to your company again next week to celebrate our 250th show where we have an interview with my friend Mark Shulman, the man who's appeared in front of over one billion people. One billion. Jeez. As the superstar drummer for Pink, Sher, Beyonce and many others. It's a fantastic story. He is a fantastic guy. And uh, next week, I'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.